0: do we scream At each other? <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Obsession Digression
2: <laughs> A podcast that explores all of the cultural things We're obsessed with
1: I'm Sam Chick
2: And I'm Katie Walker
1: and Katie, I hope you know that instead of our normal uh, Royalty-free theme I'm definitely opening us up with that kids version Of When Doves Cry kind of a real gospel tinge somber opening
2: yeah and like so we're talking about Baz Luhrmann's uh, Romeo and Juliet today and is
1: that Romeo uh, plus Juliet
2: it is Romeo plus the high school math equation adaptation I'm I'm not gonna fucking say plus All day I'm I'm gonna say Romeo and Juliet Um, But what the film does What you're referencing is this Little boy in a catholic church Is singing when doves cry And he's like Lerman like Zooms in on this kid's face For a really long time It's a little strange (laughs) Like he has a beautiful voice But you're just like why is this Happening right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) And he's doing this like Fake vibrato with his mouth It doesn't yeah. quite line up with like when the vibrato Actually happens and that makes mm-hmm. sense right Because like he's not singing live Right in the moment he's pre-recorded it Or whatever but yeah. it's, it doesn't quite Like match up
2: Yeah exactly it's it's a little bit Off it reminds me um, So you know I've been watching the world cup And they like to do, after somebody scores, um, you know, they do like some slow motion shots, especially of facial expressions.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: the best, the best is when there's a player on the other team, you know, the team that did not score, who's just like blowing a raspberry basically out of frustration, <laughs> and to see that in slow motion is like the grossest thing you can possibly imagine. You <laughs> see like
1: individual drops Blah. of like spittle like yes. launching from their mouth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's so strange and so glorious at the same time. Like who, uh. who has the job of being like, all right, you're gonna get facial expression shots Camera person, um, mm-hmm. and I want you to find the weirdest shit and put it in slow motion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so good.
2: Though the other I thing learned, I thought about
1: too, though. Oh, go ahead. Uh,
2: well, i just. I was just gonna say now that like the iPhone has the slow motion f- feature. I, know, I like, always forget
1: to use that.
2: Well, it's so. Like I you know, I'm like the most boring person in the world and I do like slow motion of my dogs all the time. (laughs) And even that where it's like so boring and they're just like sitting there chewing on a bone, you put that shit in slow motion and it is epic. It is the most insane thing. So, anyways, just saying I'm I'm pro (laughs) slow-mo for the most part.
1: Pro slow mo, yeah. No, and I really like I don't know if they add this in as an effect or if this actually is how sound is manipulated when you go from real time to slow-mo, but the way you hear like sound itself come to like a halt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it feels exactly. like just weighted with importance.
2: Yeah, I agree, I agree. Ah, slow-mo, so good. Slow-mo. I, I need to catch more like moments of just like me in life in slow motion. <laughs> like what if I just like,
1: you Can you know, do slow-mo selfies? Like can you have the forward-facing camera do it?
2: I don't think the forward-facing camera can do video, can it? Well, yeah, it can, because it's- It can do video, time. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, there goes my afternoon. <laughs>
1: yeah, let's figure this out.
2: <laughs> Send each other really long yeah.
1: videos. Where we're singing just Doves Cry in slow motion. <laughs> we're picking our favorite Prince songs. Ugh. Could you, like, guys, honestly, if we sang Prince in church, like, I may still be going to church. <laughs>
2: it would be magical. It would I be mean, awesome. I be, so that's the thing, though, is like, Lerman's brilliant at recontextualizing things right so everything in this film is is placed into an unfamiliar context but one that then you're like oh this could work or oh this has like interesting resonances right so like a prince song in a catholic church like you're like oh wow like this really it fits the like both. Yeah, when you like, saying modern- maybe I'm
1: just like my father, it just takes on so many valences.
0: Yeah, like, God exactly. the father,
1: or like his father as like Montague, or mm-hmm. uh, so much. So I mean, many. the thing though is like I remember I was talking to um, uh, in college. My friend was dating this girl, woman, whatever. We were just discussing <laughs> what the human. age cutoff for that is. Human, yeah. Um, it's female human, and she had gotten. Was raised in the Catholic church And she went to a Catholic church Where they would um, incorporate pop songs And they might like just change the lyrics slightly To make them sound more overtly religious <laughs> But she yeah. sang like Lauren Hill's Nothing even matters Like as a hymn Like that's growing up Yeah that's the only yeah. song I remember her like listing But that's fascinating to me I'm As a, like a, not something you would do In conservative Protestant circles
2: Right I'm all about it though Like I, I think like you know bringing in modern stuff because that's the world we inhabit like you leave church and immediately you're blasting like the pop station and it's like getting all my girls you know
1: but they use use a worse term you're like Um, anonymously suggesting that like party in the usa be uh yeah (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's interesting right church with my heels on
0: (laughs) i don't know (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's so good um, <laughs> Yeah like cause I guess on one hand There's a question of like okay going into the space Of a church are you supposed to be experiencing this like Very stringent cutoff between the, the Secular and the sacred Or mm-hmm. yeah are you supposed to be like Just having is it more of like a perspectival Like shift wherein you're supposed To be seeing the sacred everywhere Right um, In which case yeah bring in more pop songs
2: Yeah I and so maybe too Like because I study history and um, I look at things that are quite old, mm-hmm. like so. Um, our hymnal, for example, my church has the dates that these, you know, uh, songs were written, and you know it's like 1907 or 1911, and I'm like, that ain't that, old, not that old, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, like a hundred years ago, this was new. It's not like, you know, it's not like we have been unchanging as a, a like in any religion, especially Protestantism at You know, since the beginning, basically I know,
1: but I feel like that's the uphill battle That you're always engaging in With sort of the mainstream Or I hate saying the mainstream, I apologize With, like, people who don't have any, like, literary training Or aren't really, like, readers, for instance So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think about, like uh, Not to put Greg and Colleen on the spot But when I think about, like, my parents Who, you know, they took some high school English classes And that's it, like, I think What's so fascinating about them and a lot of their like ilk, right? A lot of people who like you, they didn't really like take college literature courses inside literature is that what they took away from a literary high school education is that these are the great authors and we are to venerate them and just like, ho- like, holy in an uncomplicated way, accept that what they've done is amazing and can't be topped, right? right? And so there's so many conversations you have with people who just as a boilerplate sort of Unthoughtful argument will just say, like, oh, they don't, they just don't write like they used to, or like literature these days or movies these days can't compare to, you know, the classics. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do you think classics became classics?
2: Right, exactly. They were new, they were innovative, they were pushing against some sort of envelope, right? Yeah, or um, just like, why
1: is timelessness <laughs> like something we should be striving for in the way that you're suggesting?
2: Exactly. Well, I mean, and of course, like, this whole season is about is kind of questioning that in a certain sense because, like, you know, one of the reasons these movies are made is because it's like, oh, Shakespeare is universal. Shakespeare is, you know, atemporal, basically, because he was such a genius. He's he's transcended, right. you know, kind of the historical moments of his time. And so then what a lot of these adaptations can do or what they, they choose to do is elide certain problematic stuff in shakespeare itself right so when we get to i mean i mean this is actually this film today is a good example because like um claire danes looks very young in, oh, in the in the movie,
1: so much younger than I remembered either of them being. Yeah, <laughs> like
2: yeah, Borderland
1: she looks, pre-pubescent. <laughs>
2: look, she does. There is
1: not even a hint of facial hair on Leo DiCaprio's face. Uh,
2: yes, but he but he is. I looked this up because I was curious. He's 21. At is the time he of really?
1: Yeah. I would have guessed like 16.
2: No, he's 21. Wow. So there there they are actors that look young, but they're still old enough to not be like super creepy. But of course. In okay. the actual play, Juliet is 13 years old. Right. You know, and so that right. like. Well, in totally the Zeffirelli
1: adaptation, her. we can talk about too. They were they. Um, what is her name? Um, who is in the Zeffirelli one? Uh, Olivia.
2: Oh, Hussey. Hussey. Yeah. Hussie. Oh, whoops.
1: Hussey. <laughs> uh, <Hussie? laughs> H
2: U S S. Yeah, I don't how know
1: to how to say it. her name,
2: but um. she
1: was a minor when they filmed that movie, and she is nude and at various points mm-hmm. throughout the film, and like that is not only illegal, but it is like very uncomfortable to to see.
2: Right, but like that brings in the, I mean, you know what the director was trying to do at that point was be historically faithful to (laughs) you know and and, but to be timeless yeah (laughs) what we've done now is like uh refashion i guess would be the right word or to to boulderize in certain ways the things that make us uncomfortable about shakespeare so that he can still be quote unquote universal right Mm -hmm. um and that's something like i push against in my teaching like no like there's some like, there's some stuff that's going to make us uncomfortable in these texts. And, like, every Shakespearean play, there is something uh, misogynistic or racist or, you know, nationalist in a very tight, mm-hmm. um, problematic way. Um, and But we should learn from that, like, right? Like, we should take that and we should actually appreciate, like, how then, you know, that operates in culture, but also in the narrative we tell ourselves about literature itself as this, like... Right monolithic white dude thing um anyway sorry i'm just going on a rant here no no here. <laughs> love it <But laughs> i'm like i'm just i've been thinking a lot about the canon you know how we we place certain authors and works in this like edified or not edified but this um edifice basically that uh then it's like so hard to break like if you ever want to teach something al- like alternative it's so hard to oh, yeah. actually get that approved or to to actually push against some of these like hundred year long narratives we've crafted about literature so so yeah fight fight the <laughs> fight the uh canon <laughs> i guess read the canon but then fight it that's what or I just take say.
1: it Down a few pegs Right Mm -hmm. Like I just think Like we have such Like we have this Compulsive myth making Tendency And we don't even know We haven't put the thought Into like Why we're myth making Or who we're choosing To make a monument Out of Like Shakespeare Obviously incredibly influential Incredibly amazing playwright But Still a human being
2: Right (laughs) And these are not Sacred texts Shakespeare was greedy (laughs) We know that he was just involved In like a lot of lawsuits and shit like that And he just wanted money
1: (laughs) Yeah like I wonder too Like if this goes back to our conversation last week But like there's probably something really helpful About um, Shakespeare in Love Like really um, framing Shakespeare's story about the creation of Roman and Juliet around like debt (laughs) And around like the need to be quickly Making money
2: Amen I absolutely agree yeah. Can
1: I? I ask an unrelated question before we get too far away from how young, Leo DiCaprio and Claire Danes like <laughs> That <laughs> this is such a weird question for a grown man to be asking uh, about <laughs> a young man. Um, his body type—he is incredibly <laughs> skinny in this movie. Was yes. that just like of the time, or was he like?
2: It was of the. Sup- it was def- definitely. Like were, who of were the... like the
1: boys? Like like boy band people like right. that like were they all like super thin like that yeah because yeah, i think like I mean, the the aesthetic now is just like there's this expectation that everyone needs to be like much have much more mass right and be more muscular right. and
2: yeah no there was definitely like a willowy aesthetic to <laughs> the, the boy willow-y. band wayfish teams, even team top <laughs> star yeah absolutely i think you know like if you think about like uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas or JTT uh, Devin, <laughs> JTT if you think about JTT or even JT at the time if you think about Devin Sala and like people like that like the teen you know eye candy at the time yeah they were all like these I mean, mostly blonde or, like, very, (laughs) like, light hair, um, very pale. Like,
1: could be sickly. Yeah. (laughs) Hard to tell.
2: Tiny, tiny little. May not be meant for this world. Yeah. (laughs) Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Uh, He's still living that dream.
1: (laughs) One day we're going to have a Macaulay Culkin season.
2: Oh, please, No.
0: (laughs)
1: I no, made I my family disappear. <laughs> uh, so we're really getting right into this, but I want to ask, like, how you've been? How's your week been?
2: Um, it's been interesting. So I have, so I have two stories for you, and I will let you pick which one you want to hear first. Okay. So first, I have the parade story that I kind of previewed through text, <laughs> yeah. and then I have a butt story.
1: Uh, let's start with the uh, parade.
2: Okay, um, so, I can't believe you didn't go butt story All right. Well so, I want to save it for later Okay good um, So parade story is simply that This week was 4th of July And late late Tuesday night Well I mean late for me Like 10pm late uh, <laughs> We like Ryan and I were sitting At the table we were both like on our Laptops doing work and I got this email Um so I'm on like Some listserv I don't even know what And it was like don't forget the Carborough fourth of july parade is tomorrow anyone can be in it and so i just like looked up at ryan and i was like "Huh? they're having a parade it would be really funny to put the dogs in a wagon and pull them around <laughs> i was completely joking my fourth of july <laughs> plan was to like sleep until noon and then read some shakespeare and then maybe go see some fireworks like that yeah, was it for sure. right um and ryan was like yes that would be so much fun because he's so spirited he like actually in high school won like the most spirited award which i didn't even know was a thing at the time but apparently Mm -mm. you can get an award for being the most enthusiastic about stupid shit
1: it's really sweet
2: (laughs) so he rushes out to the store and he gets back at like 1 a.m with all of these like discount fourth of july decorations (laughs) but like of course they're like sold out of a lot of stuff so He also got like birthday decorations that he was gonna modify to say like, happy birthday, 4th of July, or you know, happy birthday, America. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, and we had a wagon that we used to like get groceries. (laughs) So anyways.
1: You walk the wagon to the grocery store?
2: uh, So no, we kept it in the car, but this was like, we had it from when, just like back in the day when we lived far away from where we parked. It was just to, like, Mm. you put groceries in. Anyways, um, so, yeah, at at this point, it's, like, 1 a.m., and the parade, you have to be there around 9 a.m. Oh, no. And, yeah, I was just, like, so pissed off. Um, So we go to bed, and we get up at 7 to finish decorating the, the wagon because, of course, it has to be perfect. And I'm, like this is going to be a shit show. These dogs have never rode around in a wagon. Like, they bark at people and, you know, like, they're they're decent in behavior, but, like, like they don't bite people or anything. But, you know, they're not, like, around tons of people all the time. So yeah. I had no idea what was going to happen. Anyways, we get there and Sam, like, I... I was converted because it was so glorious. Um, The dogs were perfectly well behaved. They sat in the wagon the entire time. And basically what it was, uh, it was basically like, we were at Weaver Street, which is this kind of like open park area before the parade, and just thousands of toddlers—not thousands, but a what?
0: lot of toddlers.
1: <laughs> a small militarized group of toddlers.
2: There was—I mean, I was amazed. We were the only people there without children. Um, but dude,
1: that's like increasingly what it means to be <laughs> in your thirties. <30s. laughs> yeah, I know.
2: But I mean, every like almost every kid there came up and like petted and cooed over our dogs and just like. you know like it was the cutest thing and like kids that like clearly aren't around dogs very much so like to see a three-year-old who just like sticks his finger out to a dog you know like not knowing like how to pet an animal is the cutest thing (laughs) like I couldn't help myself I was like oh my god like this is so cute and so adorable um And yeah, it just, it ended up being fantastic And just, I mean, so lovely Because like everyone was like Oh, thank you so much for bringing these well-behaved dogs And I was like, dude, these dogs are not that well-behaved normally I don't know, like maybe Ryan drugged them And I didn't know or something (laughs) But they were so good And it was just, yeah, it was like a magical Like five-hour day um, morning It was a long morning though Because it, you know, we were there for a while Um, That was like, okay,
1: my sister has a chocolate lab. They Mm -hmm. got her when she was a puppy. And chocolate labs for like the first two or three years of their life have just like insanely boundless energy. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just crazy until they finally conk out. Um, And the dog got a bee sting on her nose. And it was sort of swelled up a bit. And my sister gave the dog Benadryl. And it helped like reducing the itchiness, we think, because... The dog just like didn't like scratch And wasn't agitated by it as much But right. she also was so low-key and mellow Because the Benadryl <laughs> was like knocking her out
0: yes. And my sister
1: was just like loving it so much The next day she's like, yeah, it's going down But, you know, I do still see the the bee sting uh-huh. So yeah. I guess we could give her more <laughs> And when it finally went away She's like, I really can't justify it anymore So
0: <laughs> Right, right
2: <laughs> Yeah, um, well, you know, like, you know that we have a Boston Terrier that is absolutely insane. Oh um, yeah. Like he's he's the most same spirited
1: way. for sure. Yes.
2: Yeah. He's so dumb and so delightfully just sweet hyper, but that does mean that he will like jump on your face at five A. M. and just like start licking your eyeballs, which is <laughs> not great. <laughs> That's how he started waking us up in the middle of the night to let us know he wants to go pee. It's not like uh, scratching at the door or like whining like a mm-hmm. normal dog would do, it is it is eyeball lick. Um, <laughs> so gross. I'm gonna
1: force your eyelids open. Yeah. My <laughs> but yeah, I just kind of forgot about this till just now, but Fourth of July parades were like a staple of uh, my childhood. They came, yeah. they passed like a block away, and then when I was in marching band, had to march in those.
2: Oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. a big part. Um, so you Big had to wear part. like the whole uniform?
1: Sweat, <laughs> no, so you could wear you had to wear just like uh, an Audubon High School t-shirt. Then you okay. could wear like shorts and sneakers and a hat.
2: Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Oh my That's god. Good. Dude,
1: it would have been so hot if I had to yeah. wear like that I don't know what that fabric is not organic whatever it, it is was. Like it was like some Harvey plastic velvet. byproduct.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would have like people would have died <laughs> if yeah. you had to march all day in those. Right? <laughs> Oh, but how was so your bad.
2: fourth? How, what oh, did you end up doing?
1: Fourth was great I So I had been talking to a friend of mine We were thinking about maybe taking a day trip out to uh, Big Sur So I had thought that Big Sur was like six hours away or something what Are you saying Big
2: Sur? Like B-I-G-S-I-R?
1: <laughs> S-U-R
2: Okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, It's the okay, where where would you have seen it? Okay, it's the site in a Jack Kerouac novel called Big Sur. Um it's also I think where the finale of Mad Men was filmed when he goes mm. to that like spiritual, like uh, new age camp. But it's just like really, really beautiful like park. Um you can do like hiking and it's just like, And is very... it like
2: is it like desert esque?
1: No, no, it's it very woodsy. lush very green. Okay, Yeah. Okay. But it's um it's a it's just like a spot everyone goes to at least once if you're here. Um, And it turns out it's a lot closer It's only two hours away And so we're gonna go And then I just sort of like Other plans started accruing And I forgot to rent a car So that one was on me (laughs) So I ended up hanging out Just like in the city With a group of friends And so it was really low key Really nice And actually like As the first 4th of July Here on the west coast Like it was nice It was nice to Be like okay I've been here three months Have like a nice group Of like friends Acquaintances to hang out with Saw fireworks over here For the first time which was not as big a deal. Like the Northeast, like we take fireworks very seriously. And I guess like, (laughs) I didn't think about this, but you know, it is of course, Independence Day belongs to the entire US, but California Mm -hmm. like was not a thing when we fought for independence. And so it makes sense that like the home of like the Liberty Bell, (laughs) you know, is like a lot more amped or jazzed about the 4th of July (laughs) than the West Coast
2: fair enough yeah um (laughs) no but that's perfect though that you got to like you know spend time with friends and establish relationships rather than like feel the need to do like what could only be described as a more touristy fourth of july kind of thing yeah right you know what i mean like you know like you're you live there now that's so you know what i mean like you're not you don't have excuse me like this expectation to do like every fourth of july thing in san francisco or like trip advisors like top 10 yeah exactly you know? um so yeah i think that's gorgeous,
1: gorgeous. <laughs> also the Weird more word to gorgeous. use there
2: i <laughs> think that's gorgeous, gorgeous.
1: i think I that was, was just a real say, delicious decision
2: so i've been i think i've been overusing both beautiful and lovely in my language <laughs> this is gorgeous um, so I was trying to find a synonym, and gorgeous came out, and I'm, I'm, you know what? I say it's just gorgeous. run with it. Yeah. I'm also, the
1: morning it. of the fourth, I like briefly turned it to my parents because I was at this just local like cafe around the corner where like I'll run and grab coffee or a bagel in the morning sometimes, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there like eating and reading. I was about to pack up everything, and then this guy came up to me and he was like, "Oh, excuse me, do you have Venmo?" And I was like, yeah, I don't, like, it's a, it's a weird conversation starter. Right. So I said, yeah. And he's like, okay, I lost my debit card and it's a holiday. So all the banks are closed. So I cannot access money. Um, can you buy me breakfast and I'll Venmo you the money? Oh. And I was like, oh. And then I, I just like, Should've just been like, yeah, of course. But instead I was just like, am I being scammed?
2: Right, because it <laughs> does my, sound like one.
1: It, I know, it does feel like the setup to a con. And I was like running through all the cons I know because I know we've talked about this, but I love a con, I love a, a grifter, like love reading about those tricks. So, and if that was his <laughs> his approach, you know more power to him. It's the, yeah. it's the American way, but um, I was like, okay, I'm being ridiculous, like dreaming up some crazy scenario where he is somehow <laughs> tricking me out of money. So I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah, of course I can. Um, and then we went up, ordered, and he just Venmoed me the money. And then I left. And as, as I was walking, I was like, well, I do know you can like take back transactions on Venmo. That's why Venmo will say like they release this like PSA to like small businesses who are using it. Like do not use our product for like transactions with strangers. Like really only do it between friends. Um, okay, yeah Because you can like Cancel a transaction After it's happened Blah, blah, blah So what was happening Was there'd be a string Of like Craigslist buys Where someone would go um, They'd be like Yeah, I want this used car from you Or I want this like Couch from you I'm Venmoing mm-hmm. you the money They drive mm-hmm. away the couch They cancel the transaction
2: Right, it's, right. It. it's
1: That's it So as I was walking I was like Okay, um, the funds were transferred Let me just make sure To like send this To my bank account right now So that is definitely Like my money <laughs> Mm-hmm. One thing to keep in mind is Wi-Fi and cell service generally in San Francisco Is really bad Like oh. Across every single carrier I have no idea why But I'm walking and I pull up the Venmo app And I'm like, okay, I have $68 Let me send it to my bank account Hit send All of a sudden it's like, error, can't confirm And then the amount in my Venmo account went to zero no. And for like a brief moment I was like I was hacked no. <laughs> And then i was like no this still feels ridiculous so then i like ducked in somewhere that had wi-fi i reloaded it And then it was all there And it was fine
2: Okay I was like
0: You did get grifted I know
1: I was like It is Silicon Valley Like these young people Do know a lot of Technical tricks (laughs)
0: Like
1: maybe (laughs) But it was fine
2: (laughs) Well I'm glad You did not get grifted Yeah it was totally fine At least that time (laughs) At least that
1: time Yeah who knows There could be Myriad times in my life I've been grifted And just didn't know I
2: mean I've grifted you At least like Five or six times Do you remember (laughs) all those times When I was like Oh Sam I forgot my debit card today mm-hmm. Can you spot me and then I would like n- Never bring it up again like that yeah. That was grifting yeah. I totally had the debit card I was like and I was, like, All I was touching it watch. at the time Yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was like running My fingers methodically over the debit yeah. <laughs> card numbers as I'm telling You I don't have mm-hmm.
1: one <laughs> So good you're like trying to live Dangerously you keep like pulling it out When I'm turning around right? and things like that <laughs> <laughs> God, Uh, did you ever read that book, Blood Will Out? It's by Walter Kern I know we're getting very far away from Shakespeare I'll bring us back But basically, Walter Kern is like a journalist And I think a novelist But he is contacted Because he lives in New York But he's also, for a time living I want to say in like Montana or something And this Hmm. guy who says that he's a Rockefeller Has a very ill dog Who is out in Montana And needs to be transported to him in New York but he can't fly he has to be driven because he's got all these medical conditions would um he mind taking the dog i cannot remember like how he initially they get in touch okay. and he says oh, i'll pay you handsomely for it blah 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 um so he does it and he drives him all the way the dog all the way to new york he meets i don't know why this is a dog <laughs> drives the dog, dog. All the way, drives the dog um to new york and then um he brings <laughs> it to this rockefeller And they start this sort of friendship, and he learns that he's this art collector and does all this crazy stuff and has all this money and does all these extravagant things. Slowly learns this guy is not a Rockefeller. He's just been conning people for years.
0: Yeah. (laughs) it just
1: fell into his lap, this relationship. And he ends up writing a book about how he's initially sort of tricked and then, like, him sort of making sense of how he was deceived and, like, how this guy went about, like, deceiving (laughs) like a whole swath of like new york high society it's fascinating
2: oh that's so great that's like recently um when there was the royal wedding (laughs) there's this guy from new jersey who pretended to be like this very famous (laughs) did you hear about this no famous british fashion commentator and so like he's just like a normal dude from new jersey He goes to England and, like, gets on all of these TV shows, you know, like, all these interviews and, like, poses as a, like, upper-crust British man who knows so much about fashion.
1: (laughs) That was, like, what's her name? Was it New York Times or New Yorker who did that long piece about... I cannot remember her name. She pretended to be, like, a duchess or a countess or something, and she ended up staying in... Like a really expensive New York hotel For months, for free
2: Yeah, that's life I know The only version I've done that's even close to that Is convincing one of our mutual friends That I was a twin For like (laughs) six months Um, And I would show him pictures of me I think I've already told this story And I'd be like, that's my sister Um, (laughs) Um. And he's like, it's weird that you don't have one together And I'm like, yeah, we're not really friends
1: (laughs) Wait, how long did you keep that going?
2: For a long time, like oh I, I want to say about like six months or so. Yeah,
1: wow, that's yeah, bad.
2: Yeah, pretty impressive. But <laughs> yeah. um, this person is also delightfully, like you know, very endearingly gullible. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, anyways, so do you want to hear the butt story now? I was before just going we, to bring it
1: up. Yeah. Before we
2: talk about Shakespeare. Yes. I feel
1: like actually hold butt on one story second. And then
2: Shakespeare is I like I just need perfect... to
1: open this beverage. I think it's gonna make noise. Oh, I don't care. I'm I trying think you... out this sparkling green tea that I got from a fridge at work.
2: Ah, I just I just sneered at you for that. <laughs> Huh. And is it weird
1: Oh yeah that's uh, That is not for me <laughs> it's, uh, whoo, it's a real swing and a miss You know
2: what <laughs> I can't judge Because because we're on this low carb diet I was kind of disgusted With myself last night I made a noodle less Lasagna that had zucchini oh, like Instead eggplant? of noodles Oh yeah, yeah 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 But it actually was good So I kind of take back my like Tendency to mock People for trying like new Mm -hmm. You know interesting more Healthy beverages or food So I I take it back but
1: Also it's really funny (laughs) Yeah it's I don't it's not me Either it's just like I drink too much Coffee I need to have something else in my Like beverage rotation
2: that's True that's true I've started like I Have been doing the like tracking how much Water you drink per day thing Mm -hmm. You know and so I'm trying to do a Gallon a day um but it's actually really hard to do yeah um so like i have two um like i I drink basically two one and a half liters um that's like the size the like the bottle is a a one and a half liter size yeah um so it almost looks like a ridiculously oversized baby's bottle (laughs) (laughs) and so then i like i have to like stand there and be like all right i'm gonna take 12 chugs of this water And then reward myself by drinking tea, which is what I normally drink, right? And so I'm like, (gasps) wait, so tea doesn't count as water? No, no, it's separate. I've got to drink so much every day.
1: (laughs) That's
2: interesting. That's a lot. Because tea Um, is just like
1: water with some like herbs in it.
2: Yeah, but it's I don't I just I don't feel like that counts because I don't ever chug a tea in the way that I do water. Mm -hmm. Like water just feels like I'm doing something to my body, whereas tea is like just something that sustains my body.
1: Yeah, you're like I'm just enjoying this tea.
2: Right, right. So, um that's all to say. I like it's it's actually very punishing for me to stand there cuz I I like have to stand up. You do two hands, you got 2 hand it and just be like, "Okay, ready? One gulp, two gulp, three gulp." You know, and just do that like constantly throughout the day. Mm-hmm. It's so Yeah, oh, I know stupid. that well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have a water bottle where I know like I need to drink essentially 5
2: Apparently they have like tech water bottles now that will like do a little ding and be like, time for you to drink some more water from me, from from my body. (laughs) Put your lips to me.
1: (laughs) That's like, have you seen these? I keep getting these ads on Instagram. It's this like plastic rectangle, like a rounded rectangle that you put on your back between your shoulder blades. And Mm. it just like, I guess through the magic of like lasers, I don't know. It can tell what your posture is and it constantly buzzes every time your posture gets bad. It forces you to like sit up straight.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's like, that is too much. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Like I'm all about health. Do whatever you need to do to get your body healthy. But do not kill yourself and, like, well, you know, like, put like a... yourself to, like, such a exacting standard, you know?
1: Well, it's just like a backwards, like, Band-Aid on a problem. Because the reason we have bad posture is because we're sitting at desks all day. And so, mm-hmm. like, having a buzzer is not really getting the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is, like, rethinking work so that we don't have to be sitting at desks, like, Amen. hunched over a keyboard all day.
2: Yes, I yes, exactly. That's I mean that's why I'm like sitting outside in my, my lawn chair right now because like, I know, you know I can what? hear the birds. I'm gonna I'm gonna mix it up a little bit. Did you hear there was like uh twenty minutes of leaves ruffling. That I'm not kidding you, that was twenty minutes of Lady McPug trying to figure out where <laughs> she's gonna take a shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad she finally found peace. I mean she's on that very matter.
2: particular. I, I admire it. Um, okay so Dude, speaking, speaking of... of
1: birds though I'm sorry and then we can get oh. to when well, we can get to butts <laughs> okay. I, So I walk to the bus very early in the morning I usually take like a 620 bus out of the city
0: mm-hmm. And
1: I'll cut through Dolores Park And I was cutting through and right in front of me This giant bird of prey Like it is huge Just swoops down and lands in front <gasps> of me And it's holding this gigantic Rat in its talons oh! and It's just sitting there and the rat is like Writhing still and I was like I have That's, to walk past this thing to get to the bus stop and I really don't want to. That is
2: a strange omen.
1: I know, no, exactly. I, and I just like was walking so cautiously and holding my breath the whole time and I had like sustained eye contact with this bird. Everything, it was fine, it turned out okay, but. still. It was still, a, a real high stress situation.
2: Right, just to like suddenly appear like that is not okay. I <laughs> Oh shit. <laughs>
1: okay, turn two, buzz.
2: Oh, okay. So it's not even that exciting. It's just that, like, alongside all of the positive, like, happy vibes I've had this week, I also had something the latter end of the week happened to me that really, really sucked. And it was that I have started strength training, as you know, mm-hmm. and I've been doing like cycles of different things, like squats and like um, flutter kicks and things like that. Um, anyways, so. I've been doing this and there like Wednesday was a rest day, rest your muscles day.
0: Mhm.
2: Just all fine and good. I go to work on Thursday and I go to the bathroom and as I'm getting up from the toilet, like my like entire ass muscle just wrenches and just just like I mean the worst pain you can imagine in your your butt muscle area. Yeah. As I'm, like, standing up, like, trying... And so, like, I'm, like, (laughs) mid-panty-pull-up. And I'm, like, oh, my God. (laughs) And... I mean I'm not trying to be like dramatic or anything But it then took me like another five minutes To like get out of that bathroom Just because mm-hmm. I like had Like I was in so much pain And I had to like keep cheering myself Like um So like I pulled up my underwear Like finally But I was like oh fuck The pants are still like
1: around my <laughs> They're ankles so far away <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like oh god okay Um so why didn't I wear a dress today Um and so anyways I pulled like pretty badly a butt muscle or glutes as you might say a
1: glute.
2: a glute um to the point where then the next three days and even today it's still a little off um I've just been like I haven't been able to do anything except sit because like I've had to like sit on an ice pack and, you know, like, like really nurture it, like put like Arnica on it and, um, yeah, like do all of these things. Cause I like, I've never done that before. I've never hurt myself from working out before because i've like never worked out um so like my first experience with this like so soon after i started i was just like oh my like is this how it's always gonna be
1: and you know what the answer is an emphatic yes uh, <laughs> there's always something you're tweaking are i mean the foam roller becomes your friend though because you're just constantly like rolling out like muscle issues so. so
2: what do you do like do i like put the foam roller on the ground and like Run, yeah, you literally, you
1: literally sit on it And maybe like throw an elbow behind you And lean back and just sort of like roll yourself <laughs> Up and down
2: I can tell you right now my dogs are not Going to be cool with that They're going to be like <laughs> what the fuck is this giant Listen, foam toy You're not going to
1: be cool with it either It hurts so bad the first few times you do it Because you don't understand it's like You're just applying a bunch of like hard pressure On like sensitive raw muscle uh. tissue But it feels real great after
2: Uh, I guess so. I just, I'm learning this stuff the hard way is the Mm -hmm. problem. And like, I'm trying to like do the, you know, like take rest days and like, you know, hydrate and stretch and all this stuff and do like different types of stretching. Doing all of that shit. And I still get hurt and it's pissing me off because I, I don't, I want things to work out more magically for me than they are right now. Um, I know. It's
1: the thing that no one tells you either because when I started weight training, I was like, I'm gonna like, put on muscle, I'm gonna be full of energy all the time, ready to take on the world. And you're just like, no, I'm just tired and sore all the time. <laughs> and I'm yeah. full of guilt anytime I don't go to the gym because I'm like, I've made, I've made this investment, putting this hard work, every time I don't work out, like I risk atrophy. Um, oh, you so. wanna hear
2: something funny about the gym? Yeah. So I've, I've just started at UNC as a postdoc, right? Mm-hmm. And been doing like the hiring paperwork stuff, which is very important to do. And so I had to, like, go into HR and, like, talk to them and fill out, like, all these various forms. And <laughs> as we were sitting there, you know, this lady who's, like, very, like, business-like, you know, she's very much like, all right, then fill out this form and fill this form. I was like, can I ask you a question? And she was like, sure. And I was like, all right, so I know I'm a postdoc, so I'm not faculty. I was like, but there's that really, really nice faculty gym at the Friday Center. I was like, can I use that now? And she, like, looked me, like, right in the eyes and she was like, no one has ever asked me that question before. <laughs> <laughs> like, shaming me, kind of, for wanting to get, like, perks from my new position, basically. <laughs> Dude, you should feel
1: no shame about that.
2: I'm, like, and and she was, like, actually, I don't know the answer to that it was her follow-up. And mm-hmm. um, she's, like, I'll get back to you. And she's yet to get back to me, but I'm going to follow up on that you shit. Should. Because they've got, like, a pool... And like all this, like really fancy stuff, and it would oh, just damn. be faculty. Yeah. Um, oh,
1: that's awesome! Like never right? running into your students.
2: Yes, exactly. I know some of my students. Um, like I know I've run into them before at like the the UNC jumps, and it's really awkward. And oh yeah, yeah. So you want to be
1: self conscious while you're working out? Should I mean, be
2: I, a... I already am. <laughs> you know. Oh, you don't feel like that's like dissipating. Not to compound it. I'm sorry. You
1: don't feel like that's dissipating, like the more you do it.
2: No, I'm still <laughs> mega. I'm still <laughs> mega conscious of, of hu- other humans around. Yeah, <laughs> the only time I'm not is when I'm on the treadmill. And Jeopardy comes on, and it's a category that I know, You're and shouting I start out. screaming out the fucking answer. <laughs> what are
1: saying the true Okay, See, I can give the you a time good
2: I own it.
1: self-consciousness story from when I was. This is back in UNC. I had been mm-hmm. sick, like I had been running a fever, and the fever had kind of broken, and I was like, I cannot sit stagnant another day I have to go (laughs)
2: yeah
1: so I really wasn't in a place where I should have been working out I was still a little like woozy and I go to the gym I start working out there's one wall is like total mirror right so I was a ways away from the mirror like further into the gym but I could still look to the right and see myself Mm -hmm. and I'm working out working out I look to the right and I see myself and I was like oh damn like I look great like like, this work is really paying off I was like I don't know why I'm ever self-conscious I look awesome my eyes sort of finally adjust I'm looking at someone else's reflection in the mirror (laughs) and I was like you are such a fucking idiot they weren't even wearing like a similar workout like attire that I was I was like you need to go back to bed (laughs) like Uh, just hang it up today
2: (laughs) you are a little too much out of it right now (laughs) yeah exactly Oh, the drugs are quick. Yeah. The drugs are quick.
1: <laughs> I know, and that really should be our transition into Romeo I, and Juliet. I
2: was trying to I was trying I know, to No, I out think a you did an one. awesome
1: job. I know, I was trying to think of anything and I couldn't think Segways. of it.
2: Segways. So good at segueing. I think we've gotten better. I think we have. And yeah, so yeah. yeah, let's talk about um Baz Baz Larman's. Um Baz is such a funny name. Um so let's talk about Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet, which is the like main topic of our um, podcast today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so
1: much like love and nostalgia attached to this movie for me.
2: Oh man, it's the like really super formative for for me in terms of not. I mean, I wouldn't even say like love of Shakespeare. I would just say like love of like the power of of literature and film to really affect like a reconsideration of like what what is possible in the world and that is such a grand fucking claim but i'm gonna stick by it because like i just remember mind being blown so many times in this film um like when i first watched it right so that you know like seeing the like gun at like called a sword and you being like oh my god Like so amazing Or just the fact that like the prince is The police captain Or that you know The the catholic setting is also Like weirdly beach like And like modernized But still very catholic I don't know like there's so many
1: Yeah so, and calling uh, the gun like A sword is like only like one degree away from, you remember those like school assemblies you had in junior high where like someone would come on stage and wear a backwards cap and rap at you about like not doing drugs? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. just like, okay, like we get it. Like this can be relevant to you.
2: I <laughs> But know. I still well, love it. <laughs> so, but maybe, yes, but, but I, I sorry, <laughs> but in 1996, I feel like that was still relatively innovative. You know, to mm-hmm. be interesting in a different way, I guess. Than, mm-hmm. Like, to, I don't know. So, um. Well, it's you bring I... up
1: the Catholicism, too, because. We're thinking of, you talked about Shakespeare as like a white guy author, but like what, this I wanna talk through for a second, is what actually makes so much more like logical sense is not only because it's set in Southern California, but because it is about like the legacy of like Roman Catholicism to some extent, like this should be a primarily like Latinx cast, right? Because like Catholicism, particularly in the United States has largely migrated to sort of um, like Latin demos, right? They're sort of the carriers of Catholicism these days, um, at least the majority of Catholics, I believe. Um, well, and
2: it's so strange because the film codes the Capulets, most of them. As this Latin is American my kids,
1: question.
2: <laughs> but not like Juliet is very much like she's the whitest, you know, like Juliet, yeah. right? Well, so. it's somewhat
1: sort of like the West Side Story problem where um, all of, is the Jets. All of the Jets are. Puerto Rican, except for Natalie Wood, who plays Maria. Right, right. But this is the question I had. Okay, I couldn't piece this together. Mm-hmm. We see, we are kind of told that opening, <laughs> so 90s too, with that choir just singing dramatic notes as we have this kind of flash montage of all these random bah. like images. Yeah. Yeah, um, bah, bah. yeah <laughs> exactly. Sorry, um, just in case you these... didn't know
2: what that was. That's the the Catholic dramatic choir music.
1: Exactly. Um, We just see those two corporate buildings and one says Montague and one says Capulet. And so I was trying to piece together like, but Tybalt is still Juliet's cousin, blah, 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 right? So is it the case that these are warring corporations or warring families or Mm -hmm. has it somehow become the case that These giant corporations have still managed to hold on to like a family business model And that they're still (laughs) largely made up of like members of the same family
2: Yeah, I think it's the latter I think it's supposed to be like mob-esque, right? So it is very much um, different corporations, right? And I think, you know, so it's like the Capulets and the, the Montagues Are warring financially for control over the city in certain ways But then there is that kind of like the blood ties um, refrain throughout as well So that yeah it's like I hate you not only because Like you quote unquote like work for The Montagues but also Because like you have like the This like kind of like feudalistic And also filial, filial Relationship mm-hmm. to it So it's it's I think they're Yeah it's, it's intermingling a lot Of those with, and what that does Then is then draw like the The problems that would occur With like were Romeo and Juliet to actually Like be happily married You know then you would have like Basically a giant corporate merger
1: Yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and right.
2: So you know like Well that's uh, if
1: either of them are meant to like Inherit the business right because if it's a corporation mm-hmm. Like you have a board like it doesn't Just pass to your children
2: And it's right. was like
1: well what, what do these businesses sell Like what do they do But you're yeah, saying no, it was is... more of like a mob thing
2: Yeah that, I mean at least that's What it comes across as is more mob like um to me just because it's like um you know it's constantly i was actually like kind of questioning this during this like time that i watched it every time that these these families are feuding like suddenly like there are helicopters like fucking everywhere you know and i was (laughs) like yeah
1: the police chief he is all over this
2: He's all over the ship, but in a way that suggests like gang wars, you know, like yes. The, the, yes. the footage is very much like people firing AKs from a helicopter at what really boils down to. I mean, like that scene in the like pretty um, early on, right, where you have Benvolio and Tybalt and there's like all these cars crashed around them and it's like blowing wind and they're and the helicopters blowing up wind. Right. And they're pointing at each other. Um and then you like you have helicopters Like being like you know drop your Weapons but it's kind of ludicrous Right because it's just two dudes At this point you know Shooting at each other it's not like This gigantic War um but what Lerman's trying to intimate is that actually it is That it is this like city wide Like endemic where you are Basically one of two camps Yeah and they're you know what I mean so And
1: I think you're right because that gang the gang sort of Villains um It it, it also is Reflected later when like there's like A SWAT team essentially keeping watch over Juliet's crypt as though This is going like They are anticipating this being a site of some Sort of violence or retribution or something Yeah Um, you wouldn't do that If like (sighs) I mean I'd, I'd You wouldn't do that if like the head of Like Johnson and Johnson's child had died Like no one would be like watching it Expecting anything crazy (laughs) to happen
2: Exactly, exactly Yeah, so and it's um, I mean there's another moment too Where when Romeo is returning To Verona um, After being exiled in Mantua Right, he like for some reason, like as he's like speeding towards the city, like the cops just like know he's arrived. There's like yeah, this like right. weird homing device on him, so it's, um, yeah. There's this. Uh, there's a dissonance between how intimate the play text is, um, itself is in terms of that these are two very small families feuding, and then what Lerman does by intimating that this is actually so endemic to an entire, um, you know, like. Metropolitan area, basically.
1: Yeah, and also like along those lines. So a couple of things that are related that I want to ask about, and I think you will have greater insight into this. Is first, one of the things I noticed in this that I don't really think I've ever thought about in terms of the play or when I've seen this movie in the past. But there's the scene at the the party um, early in the movie when Romeo and Juliet first meet, where Tybalt sees Romeo there and he wants to like confront him and pull out his gun. And Capulet, I forget his first name in this. In
2: the play, he doesn't have a. I don't think he has an actual. I love Montague's first
1: name in this movie, though. It's just Ted. (laughs) (laughs) But but Capulet, he says something. He's like, "You would, you would create a scene at my party or something like that." And there is this uh, sense then where I thought, well, oh, maybe the warfare is not intergenerational. Like, the, the violence is really among like, the kids, the younger generation, and the parents are not as prone to, like, strife in the same mm. way. And do you, I don't know, how is it reflected in the play?
2: So, no, I think it's, it's definitely, you know, the, the, the chorus, for example, and, like, blames it on the parents' hate. And okay. the epilogue, too, says, because of your hate. Um, so I think it's, um, one thing that the Lerman movie does not depict, but that the play, I think, it's a really important moment in the play is um, at the very end, um, spoiler alert, Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. are dead. What? Um, yes, they die. Uh, at, so, so every, you know, the prince is like, to the two families, he's like, this is because of you. But now their death has, you know, you know as the chorus says, buried their parents' strife. Um, and then... Uh, like Capulet says, "Well, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna build a golden statue of Romeo in honor of, of this moment, in honor of, you know, like as a, as a mode of reconciliation. And then Montague says, I'm gonna also build a more elaborate statue of Juliet. And so it's like there's this slight Whoa. one-upmanship the That's very so in the play. Yeah, I don't remember and, that at all it's 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 a very like quick moment and then and like if you're like me and you're always reading (laughs) cynically, you you're like this is this is a moment where um even though there's a supposed reconciliation there's also this sense that like i'm still going to be better than you um our children are dead but there's there's still enough greed in me there's still enough kind of ire that i really am going to yeah To to do a one-upmanship, basically. Well, that's really interesting
1: to me because I think there's a way in which, like, I would make the case for the play for the play, and so I guess that shades how I would read the movie is like the play is not necessarily even about like the love between Romeo and Juliet. It is just about this larger sort of uh, tribal feud, right? Mm. That like we I don't know how seriously we're supposed to take the the love that develops between two you know in the play like thirteen year olds. Or in this case, between two, like, teens over the course of a couple days.
0: hmm yeah, right? Like, no, that feels, like, harder for a contemporary
1: audience to hold on to than saying, like, regardless of how real this love was, like, what kills them is, like, uh, the impossibility of their situation brought about by just, like, the larger hatred uh, between the two families.
2: Right, right And it's a, it's very much like an infectious Endemic hatred So that, I mean, the opening of the play itself Where it's like, these serving men You know, these men who Shouldn't, you know Like, should not really have such Deep, like, currents of Loyalty to, you know <laughs> To the, the people that they work for um, Are the ones who are Initiating this, like, first Outbreak of violence, right mm-hmm. um, But then again, like, it so that's, that's one part of it, I think. But then the, the character of Tybalt is really interesting because um, in some ways he does read, like, just straight-up villain, you know? So that there's almost a, like... Um, you know, he's always instigating this violence. And so it's like, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. we can read this as kind of collective, group, problematic kind of um, fury. But also, like... Again and again, there's this one figure who stands out And who is always, like, starting shit, basically And kills, you know, the greatest character in this play He kills Mercutio, which, <laughs> how the dare best. you? Yeah. Um, well, so I Well, thing, know. too, that
1: I, I was thinking about Is, like, maybe one thing that is alienating to me As a 21st century audience member or reader Or, in this case, film viewer is that I don't think I appreciate like the bonds of family in the same way that we're supposed to in this because Tybalt and Juliet I don't believe have even a scene together but no, when he don't. dies she's distraught right right and so for me right. I'm like well. I don't like it's confusing to see like Claire Dane so upset about this cuz I'm like we have never been given a window into like their relationship and for me it's <laughs> yeah. like well there has to be some individual relationship for it to hurt whereas there seems to be just like a sense where it's just like no a family member has been like <laughs> cut down so that mm-hmm. in and of itself is um, this great sort of tragedy
2: Right and the the kind of the emotional dissonance continues when then Immediately afterwards, um, Capulet's like, "Well, let's bury our our grief by having a wedding with with Juliet in Paris." With
1: so, Paul Rudd, yeah. I totally <laughs> forgot he was in this movie.
2: Oh, he's so goofy! <laughs> he's so goofy. Which I actually, it's think so is,
1: weird. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's so weird, but actually, really well done for this particular role. Like any other role, I'd be like, "Fuck you, Paul Rudd! Get the <laughs> get, get out of here!" But um, I, so for example. When they're at the party and those balloons Are coming down and Romeo's first Like trying to get Juliet Away you see Paul Rudd Like in an astronaut's outfit yeah. Clapping vociferously At these like balloons falling And he's like looking back at her with his mouth Wide yeah. open okay, and there was, was just like, like a,
1: a Bill Clinton echo there In the recent like election cycle <laughs> Do you remember all the memes about him like the sort of weird, just childlike joy he had about the fact that like balloons <laughs> fell on him.
2: I do,
0: yes, yes.
1: <laughs> and, no, and I thought like that was so uh, like stirring, like the sort of romance or even like, not like eroticism is not the right word, but it was just like the this sort of like electricity of the moment of the two of them, like sort of running away around the room and jumping into the elevator and back out of the elevator right. to like kind of steal away, you know? I thought that was so well done.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's um, it's very well orchestrated. Like the, I mean, one thing that you have to say about this film is that it moves quickly. Like the plotting and, and mm-hmm. the like, yeah. what's the word? Not chor- choreography, but like the the, emplacement well, the editing, of bodies. Yeah,
1: it's like it, um, it's. I mean, this is a Baz Luhrmann staple, right? And it's a constant. I mean, it's a criticism of mine for him too. Is that like he doesn't have any respect for like the long shot? It's always right. like quickly quick 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 cuts and so everything has this sort of turbulent frantic feel and i think a lot of the times he sees that as being like the the aesthetic that's necessary to represent um the feeling of like early love or passion or youth but mm-hmm. as a viewer it can be very frustrating because you want to just sit in a moment actually and experience it and um i felt myself being pulled both ways <laughs> when yeah. i watched this
2: i appreciate it though because it's like Um, I mean, just to go back again to that opening scene where, like, we first see Tybalt and we see, like, cut to his, like, his noisy boots, then cut to his holster with the, you know, Catholic imagery on it, and then cut to his tattoo on his back that's, you know, Catholic saint. Like, all these, like, very quick shots with, like, so minute detail, um, like, really establishing in, like, literally, like, three seconds who he is, right? There's this, like... Um, and Lerman's also ascribing an interesting religiosity to, um, characters that's not in the play, right? So, um, when you read the play, like, of course there's the friar, um, and also I have a, I've an interesting thought about the friar in this film, um,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, but anyways, so of course, like in, in the text, there's a friar and they, there are these other, um, you know, Kind of Catholic things that occur in In a church or like Juliet goes to confession But Lerman like highly Highly codes especially The Capulets as um, Like uber Catholic basically right Sorry my phone was dinging No um, you're fine I hope you oh my gosh Okay my my Twitter's blowing up
1: <laughs> Oh really
2: <laughs> Yeah which is great Wait any tweet also, in particular Oh it's just about breeding
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait reading exciting. or breeding Books Reading. or dogs? Okay, okay.
2: Reading, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, no. Um, anyways, damn Twitter, you interrupted my like beautiful rant about um, Lerman coding characters as Catholic. Anyways. Yeah, can you um, talk about
1: like the the like import of that? Like, how does that change how we receive the play?
2: Well, for one thing, it's really interesting that you know, of course, Shakespeare is writing in a highly, highly Protestant England at the time. So any depiction of Catholic. Um, ways or characters on stage can be read as like satire or as a, a also as a safe space to depict otherness um, in a way that excuses some representations right so it's like well these you know we can depict like you know family feuding but it's okay because it's catholic england right and if you want to think back to the stereotype that Marlowe offers in shakespeare in love when he says romeo is italian falls easily in a, a, in and out of love right mm-hmm. so um there there are some ways in which for the play it can it can get kind of tra- it can get traction off of um stereotypical kind of catholic or anti-catholic um just types right mm. um so for example there is a way it's i mean it's not the way that most people wouldn't i don't I don't read it this way, but you could read the fr- read Friar Lawrence as um, a somewhat sinister, even. Foolish character in some ways right To orchestrate this really Elaborate plot like what is a friar Doing yeah. with all of these Poisons and you know Why is he getting so involved In this love affair right And There's Why
1: some... does he have a giant prison tattoo on his Back
2: I know okay so Can we talk about <laughs> yes. the, Like Lerman's representation Of this friar because he's like a
1: haunted Man in this movie
2: <laughs> yes Well it was so funny I was Watching it with Ryan and um, when we first meet him, he's in um, his greenhouse and he's, you know, pouring all these concoctions. And then what you realize is that, um, not like in the play, it's it's a soliloquy. But um, Lerman places all of these like young boys <laughs> in the mm-hmm. greenhouse with him. And Ryan was like not a good idea to have a shirtless Catholic priest you know (laughs) alone like
1: little boys
2: (laughs) with a bunch of boys (laughs) and there is a weird way especially if we think about like how young Romeo looks in this um, in this film there's a little bit of a strange way in which you know like Romeo Mm. too is so familiar not only with Friar Lawrence like in his greenhouse but in his private apartment so did you notice that like a lot of scenes like Juliet when she's threatening to kill herself that's not in the church that's in friar lawrence's like bedroom or not bedroom but like his little apartment it's Like living quarters area. yeah 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 and so there's a way in which like especially in this film um he he seems uncannily intimate with with the other characters with and all the young people
1: in the film. yes
2: yes exactly that's really you, interesting did you pick up on that or?
1: I didn't. Maybe okay. I should have.
2: It's <laughs> okay. Maybe I'm overreading it. It's just, especially, you know, 20 years later with all mm-hmm. the, the yeah. things that have happened. Um, no,
1: absolutely. I, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I didn't think about that at all.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's all good. Um,
1: I will say, I think, like, I remember watching when I saw this as a kid. That the the central performances Were the most captivating to me Like Romeo and Juliet's performances um, mm-hmm. But to watching it this time I feel like it really is a showcase For a couple of supporting actors where Yes I think-
2: let's talk about them
1: Yes Sorry go Let's.
2: ahead <laughs> I just like got really excited because I'm like oh Mercutio is coming Yes
1: Mercutio, Father Lawrence and Captain Prince I feel like give like the most compelling performances The three oh, of them yeah. are able to in very different ways um, think about like really really delivering intelligently and really well like Shakespeare's dialogue while also situating it into a contemporary context
2: so quick question mm-hmm. Would you not then enfold the nurse In that category?
1: Oh no I love the nurse too I forgot okay. about her yeah. Alright
2: good good. Um, well let's start I mean I, I If it's okay I would love to start with Mercutio Just because mm-hmm. um, So compelling The most One of the most theatrical Of Shakespeare's characters And I mean that like As in like He's, he's akin to like a Cleopatra Or you know like um, Even a Hamlet sometimes In his like his like, ver- like his verbal exuberance. Yes. But also just his like his need to 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 magnetize the scene around him, right? So even when he's questioning Romeo about Romeo's love, and it's all about Romeo, it's not. You know what I mean? It's actually about Mercutio, Mercutio's relationship to Romeo, but also his relationship to language itself.
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> Can you say more about that?
2: Sure. Like I mean, you know, we've talked in a very pre like long time ago we talked about like the queen mab speech um but what i noticed in this this film version this time around as i'm watching it is mercutio's anxiety about losing romeo um and his homoerotic or homosexual desire for romeo um so and then i was thinking about in the text i'm like yes that is there that is that element of i'm you know i'm going to deflate Um, what Romeo is coding as this like very high almost hollow passionate language Mm -hmm. I'm gonna deflate it but also then kind of brilliantly turn it into something so much more captivating and so even his like lurid jokes are just you know um just incredible like you know fairies riding across maiden's lips you know and um I don't know it's just like part of the reason that mercutio is so entrancing is because like there's there are things that are not revealed about him but then yes. in representations get played out in interesting ways so well when I, we that's first,
1: exactly oh, i'm sorry go ahead
2: well i was just i was just gonna like as a fact right like in the film we first meet him he is um cross-dressing right he's dressed as a woman so mm-hmm. just like that's like already an enigma but one that Demands attention right demands Through language and Body movement and facial expression He just demands that we pay attention to him And ignore all the other boring fellows Like Benvolio or Romeo (laughs)
1: Yeah Well thinking about like drag as um, Not only performance But a calling attention to like The inevitability of like the performative (laughs) You know like Mm -hmm. that ties In so perfectly to the exuberance Of his own like monologues And
2: right well, and so one reason I think, or one moment where I think the the homoerotic desire is really heightened is is there's this moment where, um, actually, there are two. There are two separate moments where Mercutio calls after Romeo, and you can see in the actor's face this pure fear, that like this pure like. Just sense of loss So the first is when after the party Romeo jumps Mm -hmm. out of the car And then we get to the balcony scene And Mercutio's like, Romeo, where did you go? You know, I conjure you by Rosalind's thigh Um And the actor, like, conveys actually a deep sadness A deep, like, where did you Where are you, my, you know My bosom buddy, basically And then, of course, (laughs) the second moment Is when, um The nurse appears to To kind of create that, um or to, to establish when Romeo and Juliet right. are going to meet. And Mercutio's like, why are you going to talk to this woman? And, like, there's, you know, it's it's in a, like, very joke and, like, um, body, um B-A-U-D-Y way. Yeah. But then there's this, like, drop in expression where he's, like, realizing, oh, no, he's going... To figure out when to meet up with his lover. And once that lover arrives, you know, I'm going to be just another Antonio, <laughs> basically. Um, so Antonio is always the character in Shakespeare's plays who develops a, a homosocial relationship, but then like gets dropped at the end of the play because of heteronormative marriages. Right. Um Anyways, sorry, I'm, I'm so ranting right no, now, No, that was
1: great.
0: Put
1: your rain on it. <laughs> no, I'm learning it. so much. Um, <laughs> this is my question, though. And so I, I think I found Mercutio, like, I'm not punning when I say mercurial. Um, mm. Where And I think to what you said, like, there's this intimation or suggestion that there's, like, so much more going on with him. And I felt like the movie is leaning into that, but I didn't understand how to read his two big scenes, right? So when he gives the Queen Mab speech, it goes from this playful, mischievous sort of delivery into one that's full of just, like, rage, right? Or, like, just uh, anger at something, right? right? It is... ends with him screaming the words, like, furiously into the void. And I, I had no idea what to do with that.
2: Well, this, this is actually one of my... One problem that I have with this film is that th- that moment, he's just taking drugs, Mm-hmm. Um and like that's Obviously not in the play I mean, I mean you know <laughs> There are drugs in this not, There are drugs, but not those mm-hmm. And so like you could Read that moment where he like just Switches to to anger as like a Kind of you know side effect Basically or you know of a reaction To suddenly getting high Right that is not how um, someone
1: on ecstasy Reacts though
2: well yeah I I don't know but like Hey Yeah maybe not um but I, you're right Like I don't quite understand the motivation For then like suddenly switching to this like Rising rage well, yeah, um, Or some
1: sort of conflict right Or maybe like you could say If you're really trying to just find some way to make sense of this You go okay well this is suggesting that he has a really Conflicted relationship to his own Sort of Exuberance or something that his relationship with Queen Mab who in one sense Would be inspiring his like party Going sort of Um Lifestyle is also something that he hates about himself or hates about the world or something, right? That it's sure. this actually really, really complicated um, thing for him, but it's not really explored or expressed in any other way.
2: Right. And well, it's interesting to think that, like, Mercutio is such an in between figure anyway. So, like, he's related to the Capulets and he's, um, you know, related to the prince. Um, so there's some suggestions that he's, like, a nephew or something like that. Um, and yet it's so close to the Montagues, so he's, mm-hmm. like, trying to occupy these two different worlds, or he's forced to, maybe. Um, and, yeah, that, like, I think plays a part in, like, how, yeah, like, how, where do we place him in this, is he, is he a, um... Preventative figure, and what I mean by that is he like trying to, you know, kind of. Um, uh, sorry, I just kind of lost my my Mm-mm. ability to talk here because I'm I'm really like, but that's good though. Like that's what Mercutio does is he 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 raises these very interesting questions about like where do we place the 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 male friend in this narrative? Like not yeah. like not just so, like a Benvolio, but like uh, you know like more in some ways. One. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, it's very fitting that, um, he kills or that Tybalt kills him. Right. Because in some ways they're, they're mirrored figures, right. Both like highly passionate, both highly violent figures. Um, and yeah, it then becomes like the question of like, how do we, how do we reconcile Mercutio or can we reconcile him? To so this play's narrative of you know unbounded love, I think he complicates it in certain ways that make it really interesting, right? So well, it's like
1: yeah, if we're gonna go with sort of the sort of um slash homosexual sort of reading that you're implying earlier, then
0: mm-hmm. there
1: since this is ultimately like a very heteronormative play, even though it ends in tragedy, like there is no <laughs> place for him, <laughs> you know, ultimately, <coughs> bless you, in any of Thank these you. love stories, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, if he would have survived, like, where would, he, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> there's not a, like, part two. Oh, but even, I would fucking love it if there was, you know, like a, a sequel where it's like Mercutio reconciles his emotions or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, something like that. It's, he's too, He's too larger than life to fit beyond the confines of the play in certain ways.
1: Well, the other um, big valence, too, is that he is one of the only black people in this adaptation.
2: Right, right. Right, and so there Him is and the it, prince. Right, yeah. and it's
1: inviting this sort of maybe like uh, racial reading as well.
2: Mhm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That like even um,
1: when you applied that like in even though like whether this these are like full families is a little confusing in this adaptation, we are looking at like a white family versus um, a Latino family, right? Mm-hmm. And so to have a sort of black person in LA caught in the middle does seem to right. have them caught in the middle Or be mired in violence You know unjustly in LA Also feels like a very sensitive raw topic In
2: 1996 Yeah, yeah agreed um, Yeah I think and I think Lerman like, Is highly highly aware of that And is playing upon all of that right So mm-hmm. um, Well maybe we should talk then about the prince Just for a moment too yeah. Since he is, uh, he is Mercutio's Cousin relative Something we're not sure right um but uh you know this like really unfortunate figure just because he's trying to impose some sort of order on what is clearly you know such a like crime ridden drug ridden um (laughs) violent
1: (laughs) and his performance is so good like as just like A tough, like, tired cop or police chief. Yes, I was going to say tired. I was waiting for him to just, like, throw in, like, motherfucking somewhere in, like, one of his lines. It just felt, like, so appropriate.
2: At the end, oh, so when he says, all have been punished, Mm -hmm. all have been punished, and he's, there's so much emotion in there, in that, those lines. But it's so interesting to think about, like, um who who we include in that all because it's the prince as well i mean he's lost some some relatives as well it's it's paris right paris is dead (laughs) for some reason um you know paris dies he does in the uh in the play
1: i don't remember how does he die
2: um he's stabbed <laughs> by Romeo.
1: <laughs> oh, oh duh, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah Not in the, movie, in the though. tomb. Yeah.
2: I'm sorry. Yes, in the in the in the movie Paul Rudd is too too innocent. Um <laughs> yeah. and also too negligible to be to be murdered, yeah. sorry.
1: Um, he's, he's somewhere dancing with his hands. Yeah. Off screen. He's,
2: he's just like clapping at like a like <laughs> children's cartoon or something. Yep. Um <laughs> anyways, I don't know like You're right though like that was such a Or that that performance is so Good because it is just So beat Down by this cyclical Just never Ending hatred between these Two families
1: Yes can we talk though about a Performance that is maybe not so good
2: (laughs) Yeah I have
1: lots of questions About Juliet's mom
2: Oh yeah she sucks
1: Okay sucks yeah, as a character, like, the character she's playing is a frustrating character, right? Mm-hmm. Why is she intermittently adopting a sort of, like, Jessica Lang like southern accent and sometimes is not?
2: I don't know. I, like, <laughs> I... Mean, it
1: no sense to me.
2: None whatsoever. I had no idea, like, where that came from because, you know, like, at first... You read her as like very materialistic Like probably in this marriage For money Has some weird sexual thing going on with Tybalt mm-hmm. um,
1: She makes so you, out with Tybalt
2: Yes What yeah. was that <laughs> I don't know I mean Wouldn't you
1: I mean I was like <laughs> ma- is everyone on drugs in this party yeah, Like it's yeah. a total Bacchanal
2: I know it, it does, certainly comes across that way But so you read her like that At first but then you're like Later in the film, especially when she kind of disowns Juliet, like, well, maybe she's like beaten, like maybe you know she's a she's afraid of like the abuse that her husband can can clearly exhibit, like the violence that he yeah. exhibits towards Juliet. Maybe she's lived with that for 25 years, and
1: yeah, you know, and that was, was actually just... like what was confounding to me. Watching this Because you think about The way her wardrobe changes Over the course of the film Is that wardrobe Is supposed to signal A change in her character Right Because it goes from Mm -hmm. These like very like um, sort of provocative, super fashionable outfits too. By the end, she's wearing like, sort of prim like skirt blouse cardigan. Her hair is back in a very sort of like modest way, right? And so it's suggesting some sort of arc, right? But it's not clear what that arc is or how this character is supposed to remain stable from scene to scene, like how we're supposed to understand her as like one coherent person.
2: Yeah, And then yeah. there's like weird
1: things where when she bursts into her room later in the film when Romeo's leaving, He falls off the balcony into the pool. We hear a loud splash, and it's very unclear whether she saw him or not, or whether she knew.
2: Oh, I didn't notice that. Because in
1: one sense, like, she'd have to not have heard that very loud splash. And we don't see her looking down into the pool, but she does come out onto the balcony. She seems to briefly take something in and then quickly go back into the room and act like she has not seen something.
2: Interesting. And I didn't know how
1: to take that.
2: Yeah, I don't know either. Like, honestly, I just... I did. I haven't thought about that. I mean, it's a weird scene because she, then she's like, you know, like Juliet. Like you know, like she seems cheerful almost, yeah. right?
1: And but befo- a I... scene before when when Capulet says that he's going to have Juliet marry Prince Prince marry um, <laughs> Paris, she seems sad or like she knows something that makes this news not good.
2: Right. And
1: it's like, well, what does she know? Or why isn't she, why is she thrilled about this? Because she's been matchmaking like crazy for like the first half of the film. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't. And maybe it's she's, like sadness over Tybalt's death. Like I couldn't figure out how I was supposed to read her reactions.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have an answer to that. I think part of it's sloppy acting. And, you know, like just it, like the actress herself is just not... Pulling it off basically Also her but name in we're... real
1: life is Christina Pickles And so <laughs> I love her for that
2: Oh well that That is kind of cute Oh no never um, mind that's
1: Romeo's mother Her name is oh. Diane Venora
2: Oh that's much more yeah, That's I a feel... little bit more hoity-toity <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I. I mean, it is hard to read Like,
0: yeah, I'm it's... thinking
2: about like How you know Kind of disgusting she appears at the beginning Of the movie and like I I don't know like it's hard to tell even if she's really truly grieving over Juliet like at, in her funeral scene she's got the veil over her face and everything it just
0: yes yeah. she's an
2: she's she's not a very um I don't know like engaging character in that sense to me right because it's like your daughter you're like you forced your daughter to marry she didn't want to marry she died like you're just expressionless your husband's really scary so you take drugs and i don't know there's a lot going on there that's just like really it just makes her not very sympathetic as a character in this particular film yeah and i mean of course in the play she's she sucks so um
1: yeah yeah so she's a a a real mystery i couldn't piece that one together
2: mm-hmm well, neither can I, Diana. Also, do you think she was the
1: one who decided on the aesthetic for um, Juliet's crypt? I remember, oh. okay, seeing that yes. shot when he enters the church and all of those like neon crosses and flowers and candles, being like, "This yeah. is one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen committed to film." And this time, I watched. I was just like, I just picturing like the parents like calling someone up and be like, "Listen, we need 40... Bright blue neon. neon crosses to mourn our daughter. Yes. What?
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> this is LA in the 90s. We're taking this real seriously.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. It's it's a lot. There's a lot going on. I was also thinking about like how hot it must have been. Like, I was thinking on, that with too. All those
1: and, I mean I don't think we need to explain Like the plot of Romeo and Juliet to anyone But like they no. fall in love Can't be together Claire Dan- or Juliet's being forced to get married So oh. even though she's secretly married to Romeo already So she takes uh, a drug That will put her in essentially a coma um, So that the families will think She's dead They'll put her in the crypt Romeo will know He'll go rescue her And they'll run away together He right. doesn't get the letter So he thinks Because that- that's
2: a stupid fucking plan friar
0: Well, and because
1: uh, Once again, not for the first time in this podcast We're going to talk about the shortcomings Of our U.S. postal system And (laughs) the privatized postal systems Yes They failed to deliver my bed in Manhattan They're failing (laughs) to deliver this letter
2: Right I'm sorry, but like ultimately the 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 whole premise of like why romeo doesn't get this intel is so ridiculous also like it's not like the 1800s like
1: you have other communicative options other than relying on mail like you can call him on the phone
2: i know or like so the film makes it even more contingent because there's that scene where balthazar um who's romeo's like servant and and friend um, also a heartthrob, right? He's, he's
0: what
1: was in, he like, from? Of- I've seen him. I just remember his face from a bunch of like movies from when I was younger. Yeah. I don't, I can't place him he's though.
2: He's been in a ton of teen movies. I just, okay. I don't remember. But, um, anyways, uh, so there's this moment where like, he's like he sees he comes upon juliet's funeral and like i'm sorry friar Lawrence, you're turning away and looking at him you could just say yeah. wait you know
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> or like something but instead he like lets him run off and he immediately drives to to Mantua or romeo is literally like hitting rocks with a stick maybe he um, thought that
1: romeo already had the letter or something or it was fine
2: yeah it's I just it know. was totally botched um yeah, and so, anyways, Romo gets back too late, and you know they 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 both kill each other or kill themselves. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, they have, have their first fight; it goes real badly. <laughs> um, As, during they, that
2: like solemn moment where you know like romeo's just taking the poison and juliet shoots herself um ryan like immediately interjects he like undercuts the whole like import of the scene and he's like it'd be really funny if then like romeo woke up and he's like poison didn't really work <laughs> I was like, shut the fuck up
1: okay i will say like that scene is so hard to watch Oh it is Because every time I watch it I think there is like a sliver of possibility That like she is going to like wake up in time Like because it's just so close And I feel so drawn into that scene
2: Right It's heartbreaking Of course like Lerman makes it so that she actually touches his face Mm -hmm. As he swallows the poison that like works in two seconds Well because
1: he was like he's long dead in the play by the time she wakes up
2: um, I mean, he, he's, he is dead Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not so, long dead, um, I don't
1: know how much time has <laughs> passed But they don't have a moment together where they're both living
2: Exactly, exactly So, and, and I mean
1: some Props to
2: Claire Danes, though For that moment where she then Like, decides to, to shoot herself In the head, like mm-hmm. that's I mean, that's one of the slower moments In the, the movie yes. itself Yeah,
1: it is a still shot, and it's a perfect Like, demonstrative lesson and like why a still camera can be a really great thing like when what you have on screen is compelling you don't need like to cut it from 15 different angles or anything
2: right exactly so yeah it's it's it is hard to watch though that final scene because you're like oh god uh like i know it's coming i don't want it to come um that sort of thing yeah so I don't know. I mean, it sounds like we're kinda of wrapping up here, which is is good. Um I mean not good, but like, you know, it's 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 what's happening here. <laughs> it's just uh, what's happening. I so I guess I will say, you know, re watching this now, I kinda of was amazed at how young the actors looked like we talked about Insane. and kinda of how Weird that felt Watching it as a 30 year old (laughs) We
1: didn't talk about this earlier but So Claire Danes is very young But she was among one of the oldest people to be considered They were originally going to cast Natalie Portman Who was only 14 at the time And then when Natalie Portman They decided it looked too weird Like she just looked too young They offered it to Sarah Michelle Gellar who couldn't do it uh, because she does scheduling conflict and I'm sorry. I love goodness. Buffy the vampire slayer as much as the next person, but like, thank God, like that would have been such a bad. Fit. No.
2: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I mean, the props to Claire Danes, cause I think she really she does. It. She, she captures that innocence, but also that assertiveness. Um, mm-hmm. and I guess, so this is maybe the last point that I want to make. Um, about the film itself Which is the, the one Like the biggest problem I have with the film Besides like the drug references Which I think are a little cheap um, mm-hmm. And the fryer <laughs> a little bit um, <laughs> Is just that this movie plays down The agency of Juliet in the, the play text And what I mean by that is um, So even though the play is called Romeo and Juliet the very last lines of the play you know say you know something something whoa for um juliet and her romeo and in fact this play has one of the longest um female speaking roles in shakespeare really and there's so many moments yeah i think she's only beat by she's beat by cleopatra and lady Macbeth. that's it wow. um <clears throat> and also i mean and so and of course like those two figures are older queens it kind of makes sense that they have a lot of lines it's surprising that the love object um for you know this supposed greatest love story ever told uh has such an active role in it right so she's part of completing that beautiful sonnet between her and romeo the palmer's hands palmer's Mm -hmm. kiss sonnet right um and the play, I think, is continually reinforcing that, yes, she is young, yes, this is her first love, yes, she is a virgin, but also that she has this incredible range within that um, to, I mean, she's the one that, you know, proposes marriage, basically. She's the one that wishes that Romeo were cut up into little stars, which, if you think about it, is kind of a violent image. Um, (laughs) So there's, I mean, there's these, these hints of or not hints of I mean in the play itself that Juliet is is much more cognizant of what the stakes are and is much more proactive in this relationship than you would expect from a typical like um, you know Petrarchan renaissance love story right so Shakespeare I think is doing something really cool here by saying no she's going to push back and you know like make her own terms for this relationship right and for its resolution because she does have you know the she does go to the friar and say if you don't do something i am going to kill myself and in fact she threatens to kill herself like three or four times in the play <laughs> which is a lot
1: yeah like um, frequently <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah so anyways that's all to say the film i mean i this is not a knock on claire dance cuz i think she does do a really great job but some of her lines are cut Um, And they play up Her innocence to such a degree that then We lose that sense of This isn't a story of Romeo Pursuing Juliet It's a story of two lovers Pursuing each other Hmm. but Lerman's Version does very much Make it into a man Pursues woman narrative Yeah That's yeah that's I mean that's like my Kind of final takeaway on this Is that I still love it I still think the details Are gorgeous I think it's such a good way to get people who maybe are a little hesitant about reading or watching Shakespeare it's a good intro um to show them like the kind of creative range with adaptations but (laughs) you know but I still want there to be more power to 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 the women I want there to be more more accurate representations of like how fucking badass Juliet actually is
1: Yeah, I I have one last reading I want to do too That I think bolsters The point you're making But I want to ask first In your opinion Is there a really Really good version Or adaptation That does accomplish this?
2: Uh No (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think No Mm -mm. Not that I've seen Um, Interesting You know so I don't think like West Side Story does this I don't think oh, that
1: Love West Side Story But you're right Maria too. is like an incredibly passive character in that
2: Right, right Romeo um, and Juliet No <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, no, I nothing comes to mind I mean perhaps Perhaps Shakespeare in Love in a weird way Kind of does Because oh, Viola yeah. is pretty damn assertive
1: But she's only um, Juliet for the last 15 minutes Because she's Romeo for most of it
2: Exactly. Exactly. So it's still like, yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, but what is your what is your your final thing?
1: Well, I think to your point, one thing I thought that was really interesting in this film is that Romeo is constantly being framed. I think as having like a fatal flaw, which is such a Greek <laughs> trope of storytelling. And I, I'm not to say it's not a, this doesn't happen in Shakespeare, but it's not necessarily a Shakespearean move to make sure your characters all have you know, a certain like hubristic quality that brings about their downfall. But the thing here is just that like, it's constantly framed about him being too impulsive and too emotionally volatile. So we talked about how in this staging of the play, he gets to still be alive when Juliet wakes up, right? That it was a matter of just Mm -hmm. seconds. Right, mm-hmm. that if he had waited another couple of seconds, he'd be fine. Or if he had waited at his in his trailer another minute, or stopped when that delivery man was walking up to his car, he would have gotten the letter. It would have been fine. Or if he had calmed down before he got in the car and sped after Tibble and like rammed his car and blah 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 and grabbed Tibble's right. gun, he it wouldn't he wouldn't have to give that Fortune's fool speech, right? Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting. To me about that is that that is also Sort of how we've talked about some of the shortcomings In the Directorial style of this film Right that it is, oh. it is Sometimes too impulsive and it's like Choices or it's cuts right Or too volatile right That there is a way in which like they would just slow Down a little bit right and give us a mm-hmm. chance To like catch our breath like there would You might have been able to like kind of uncover A little more what's interesting Though is like we're watching this now with the hindsight Of over 20 years which is crazy um i know we're so fucking old (laughs) tell me about it and we've seen a lot more from baz lorman right like moulin rouge or we i think i plugged early in the podcast um the get down his netflix series Mm -hmm. and you know the one constant for a baz lorman movie is that it is excessive to a fault and i think it is because he is someone who is in love with the idea of passion right and to a, a fault And I think what's interesting, though, is that if we had had, like, a Romeo who was more tempered, Baz Luhrmann would not find him interesting anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. And so it is the case that
1: there is something, I think, that he's trying to do in his films whereas they are almost, like, intentionally flawed, right? Because it is this sort of impossible equation that you cannot have passion and perfection or something like that. And so passion, something that's, like, burning brightly even recklessly, is still greater Mm -hmm. than something that, like, lasts longer. But... um, he's more tempered
2: yeah and it's like the one consistent in every
1: single thing he's done
2: yeah is that he's he's um very baroque you know he's Mm. very um and and part of that i suspect um i mean just from like apart from like being who he is is that um he does all of this like it's not just that he's a director it's that he like directs like stuff for fashion and he runs the like you know uh the met art gala you know like he does like
0: mm-hmm. so many
2: he does like symphonies he does musical scores he's he's kind of like um uh you know like the fancified version of a david lynch in certain ways in terms of like just being so um like i guess like just so interested in so many different media and I, I like i suspect that part of that like his, his deep abiding interest in fashion and in music and in like stage productions kind of um at least partly contributes to this sense of of excess like you were talking yeah. about
1: and but the thing is like and what excess you know like i think his wife is catherine martin who i can't remember if she is the set designer or art designer or costume designer for all this films. was costume. Yeah. I thought
0: it was, costume. Yeah. Like, I thought I, it was so costume. I think
1: about like something like Moulin Rouge, which is like even more of a flawed film in my mind. Like that is a film mm-hmm. that like sometimes it's like at times hard to watch because it's just so off the wall. But yeah. there are also moments where like the grandeur of that film is like st- Stunning, right? It is, like, mind-blowing at times. Like, how ornate and complicated and densely visual, like, some of those shots are. And so, Mm -hmm. like, he does get something out of all of that. Um, And it is interesting. And, but, I mean, I guess to tie back to your original point, like, it is interesting, too, that it seemed to me as I was watching it that... We that Romeo is the hero Like the central hero in this film Right he's the mm-hmm. one who is given this Sort of like flaw that makes him who he is Also brings about his downfall where I don't think we get That with Juliet
2: right Right yeah No I would I would agree with all of that I think that's Absolutely right
1: and the only other Thing I had in my notes that I wanted to talk about That we didn't get to is just that There is a shot I don't know if you remember this early on When Romeo's parents are going to Pick him up from Venice Beach um, And they're with like Benvolio and they um, roll down the window and just sort of scan, like, the sidewalk. And there's this really slow tracking shot that is
0: oh, so yes. curious,
1: but, like, weirdly, like, just I think it's the best shot in the movie. It's so beautiful and The woman
2: dancing? Yeah,
1: where this, I I think it's implied that she is a sex worker, sort of sitting down on the sidewalk. She sees an old guy approaching her, so she sort of slowly stands up, saunters to the middle of the street, and just starts, like, dancing for him. And he's sort of, like, hunched and old and aged, and he's sort of, like, stumbling towards her as he's, like, weirdly, slowly, like, ghostly way, almost like pulling a wallet out of his pocket. And it's overlaid with that line About like these are dark times or something And it doesn't seem like the film Like (laughs) wants to make sense Of its surrounding But doesn't quite know how to right
0: Um, And
1: it captures like this That this one just curious Like enchantingly kind of provocative Moment and I love that shot
2: I do too I, I like I think it establishes So much of the like Mood mm-hmm. Of the film itself That like Um Like it then makes sense How we read Like when Romeo and Benvolio Are playing pool In this like Very like Like Hot Like tiny room You know And it's just like Crowded with like Normal folk Basically Right yeah. Um And like you can make sense of it now Cause you're like Oh this is the world they live in And like It's like a you know kind of run down that like beautiful like run down stage where um mercutio and and tybalt have their showdown right like that's the like it's such a great aesthetic and i think that opening shot or not opening shot but early shot uh really captures that i agree like i i know exactly what you're talking about right um because of the like how and how evocative it is
1: yeah i love it (laughs) cool that's about it i love it
2: Uh, We love it We just We both love it Right
1: Love it So much (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway I know we're wrapping up Um, So I'm curious What it is That you're obsessed with This week I know you have A ton going on As usual But have you uh, Found any rabbit holes To dive into
2: I have had A few things Um, So Well first of all I did go see um, Won't you be my neighbor? And was I fell in love with how incredible that movie was. So that was my first, oh, nice. like early in the week's obsession, um, early in the week obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, based on your suggestion, I've been um, reading Cabin at the End of the World. And how is this? It? It's so good. It's like I mean I'm not done with it yet. But I it is mega creepy, mega creepy, and I'm like I'm all about it. It's so great so i'm just I'm enjoying like kind of getting into this really strange world that the the book is already kind of i mean i i'm already I'm only like a third way through and i'm just I'm entranced so it's it's great
1: and what is like um a quick rundown of of what that book's about
2: uh so so far um the these two um you know these two gay men have a daughter she's um you know they've adopted a daughter and they are both you know like somewhat prosperous um like you know kind of middle upper middle class um workers who then like go out into you know like to stay at this cabin to like get away from the world for a while as like a vacation and so there's no like cell service or anything like that and these four strangers show up um very menacingly and they want something from this family. Um, and so it's unclear if like they are, if they've targeted this family because it's two gay men or if it's just happenstance. So it's, it's all like, it's very mysterious at this point, um, you know, why, why this is occurring.
1: Mm-hmm. oh my god there's a All spider
2: right. looking at me oh
1: fuck! it's oh. looking at
2: you. <laughs> yeah it is looking right at me okay what's what's your
0: obsession All Sam?
1: Right. my obsession i'll make it quick since you have to run <laughs> um this is something i stumbled upon just on like LitHub. um but there is a writer um his name is miles klee he's publishing a series on medium.com Um, Mm -hmm. called (laughs) Bro Bibles. So the the first one says, Greetings and welcome to Bro Bibles, a series in which I ruin my summer by reading the books your worst ex-boyfriend holds dear to his heart. Um, (laughs) It's my hope that by engaging with these often problematic and rarely rewarding texts, I will save everybody else the trouble and perhaps learn why they're so popular among my cursed gender. (laughs) And so the first first one he's reading and writing about is Aziz Ansari's Modern Romance. (laughs)
0: but it is
1: uh super interesting and pretty funny and and thoughtful and smart um (laughs) read so i'm excited to read the rest of his summer series as we go along nice so he just published this one a couple weeks ago i'm assuming there are more on the way
2: cool that's that's cool i will have to check that out (laughs) yeah the spider is no longer looking at me
1: oh i'm so glad you're here
2: yeah um well, all right. This was a great, great time. I had a lot of fun talking about. Oh, me too. Um, I hope I didn't rant too, too much. No, this
1: everything you have taught me, I am very, very appreciative of. <laughs> <laughs> Feel like I learned Thank a you ton. You saying that? <laughs> all
2: right. Well, you know who else would have made a great Paris? Billy uh, Zane. Billy Zane? Billy Zane? I, mean, I think. I mean, he a is, in a sense, the
1: Paris on. of Titanic.
2: Yeah, yeah. Except evil. Um, <laughs> oh that's true
1: Like oh, he says something There's one line that Paul Red says I can't remember what it is now That made me feel like he understood that he was Being more manipulative Or that Julia maybe wasn't into it But I can't remember what he said oh, now Oh
2: it's like on Thursday we will be married Yeah like, like, right Like something like that Like yeah. well actually <laughs> Yeah um, just so you know Yeah um, But there's an interesting connection right We've got our Leo and we've got our our um, Titanic and Billy Zane. So there we go. Yeah. Full circle.
1: Full damn circle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next week, we are doing, we're continuing um, by looking first just at like teen tragedy adaptations, right? So we're Zana. doing 2001's Oh. <laughs> oh. I can't oh. wait to watch this. I've never seen it in my oh. life.
0: It's going to be great. <laughs> All right. With that, we shall say bye.
1: See you next week.